welcome to uh, episode 111 of uh, Convos on the Pedicab. I'm here with my friend and um, District 1 City Council candidate, Clinton Rary. Uh, before we get started, big shout out to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pleb Lab. Pleb Lab is a company in Austin, Texas that helps individuals and small companies adopt Bitcoin for utilization as well as accepting payments. Um, in an era of devaluing currencies, the best way to protect your purchasing power is through sound money. And in times of unprecedented censorship, uh, the best way to uh, comfortably express your true self is through using permissionless money. So check out Pleb Lab there in East Austin. Um, they're great for uh, all types of Bitcoin adoption through self-custody for um, accepting payments there. They have a great media company. So anyway, um, let's get started. Sounds good. Probably gonna have to do that take again, but that's okay. All right, happy to see you, Clint. Good to see you too. Well, it's been like a couple weeks since the last time we saw each other. Yeah, we always run into each other at city council meetings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're running. What made you decide to become a city? What made you decide to do this? Well, first off, I didn't want to do this. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wanted to just join my life, not have to deal with politics, because politics can get very disgusting. Mm. And. What caused me to run for city council is because nobody else was willing to stand up and kind of fight the radical policies that are coming from California to Austin. And I hear all the time, don't California my Texas, from people that are coming from California, which I agree. If you're moving from another state, you're want, you want to adopt the lifestyle and the culture of that state. That's why you're leaving for a first place, unless you're leaving for a job, of course. Um, but I saw that happening here, exactly the exact blueprint. And I was like, no. This, what's going to happen in the next 10 years is what caused me to leave California in the first place. What caused you to leave California? High crime, um, literally shootouts on the freeways, people breaking into cars constantly, uh, drug dealers everywhere. It's an open drug market. Homelessness is rampant. Um, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you probably would rarely see a homeless person unless you're in San Francisco or, or Oakland. Now it's literally everywhere in California. Everywhere. everywhere. So where, where are you from in California? I, I grew up in a small uh, farm town, about 45 minutes, an hour east of San Francisco. Okay. Um, and then joined the military, was stationed in El Paso for four years, then worked for the Department of Defense for three years. Moved you did? What did you do for the Department of Defense? So I was a security guard for six months uh, until I did all the online training. And then I ran day-to-day -day operations for the whole security force uh, for Sandia Labs. What's that? Okay, what's that? Sandia Labs does a lot of uh, radiation testing out of sense missile range. So they test everything from electronic equipment to tanks. Okay. And so they'll do radiation blast, um, traditional radiation or gamma radiation. So it was a good experience doing all that. Moved back to California to get my education because I advanced my career as far as I could without a, a college degree. Studied cybersecurity network software. Last semester, the college went under. ITT Tech, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they didn't tell their students that they lost their accreditation for like a year. Oh, fun. So they're on probation. And then we show up to class for the last semester, locks on the doors. Teachers were surprised. Students were surprised. News was out there interviewing us all. And literally, I'm still part of the lawsuit waiting to get my GI Bill refunded, which I'll probably never use because I didn't even plan on using my degree to begin with. I only went because they're paying me to go to school. Interesting. All right. Um... And so when you moved back to California, did you go back to your hometown or did you go to another city or? So I moved back to my hometown for six months, uh, trying to kind of figure out where I wanted to end up um, in California. 
and I ended up moving to Concord because it was right next to the university or the okay. transient campus. And so I moved by there, it was only 10 minutes from my house in Concord. Um, but where I lived was in a high density area and across the street was the only park where we were at and it had prostitution, homeless camps, and an open drug scene. So literally no and it was And it was all over the place in the park that you were at? It was all over the place. The first year wow. that I was there, I was like, is this ever going to go away? And this is like your hometown? Not my hometown, um, but it's only 20 minutes from my hometown. And this was not something that you had recognized before you came back to the military? It was not something I recognized. It was a totally different California after being gone for seven years. And one morning I woke up to walk my dog and literally DEA was there, the sheriffs were there, state police were there, local PD were there, and they were just raiding all the apartment complexes. And it was it was cleaned up for a good six months and then okay. it trickled back. Yes, yeah, similar to what the homeless camping ban did is our use of start seeing it more and more and more and more and more. Okay. I get it. That make that makes sense. Um what other aspects of California politics do you not like? Because it's really easy to point the finger at crime and homelessness, and I feel like that's what everybody does. They just say crime, homelessness, crime, homelessness, right? But we're in Austin, and yeah, it's gotten worse comparatively to what it was like in the 90s, but, you know, I grew up in New York City. We're nowhere close to what you escaped from. And there has <laughs> no, to, not at all. And there has to be an honest discussion about that because a lot of, like, People on like conservative Austin Twitter, you know, they'll make it to make it seem like Austin's a third world country if you listen to how they tweet. Yeah, no, I agree um, with that. and that's bad messaging. It's dishonest. It turns people off from listening to them. Um, so I think when we talk about like crime and the increases in crime and the problems, it should be done within the lens of reality. Correct. Um, so, hence, what else is wrong? So high taxation. That's another one that's happening here. We're starting to see that with your year-over-year property tax cap rate uh, being a threshold. Um, Literally, the government thinking that they can solve all the issues with bonds. Um, It's not up to the government to solve the issues that we're here in Austin. Our city government should be focusing on our roads, our electrical grid, our water infrastructure, having cheaper cost to build because they're making it so expensive to where only big corporations are able to actually buy land actually develop here in Austin versus the small mom and pops. Because they approved permitting processes pretty quickly here. Yes. Eight, four years ago, but not anymore. I thought that they, because um, I had a rancher on, um, we haven't aired, aired the episode, my last person that I talked to was a rancher, and he said that, like, they will approve a permit with it. It'll take like a year or two for a permit to get approved. So, yeah, still at a year or two. When I, when we, when I first moved here in the construction process, it's about three to six months for a permit. Okay. So it's been getting worse over time. And I've talked to a lot of the people that worked previously in the department services, and they've been there for 25, 30, 35 years. And they kind of got pushed out because they didn't want to retire yet. They wanted to do a full 40 years to retire. And now they got all these young people in there that don't know anything about construction project management. So it's just a mismanaged, you got too many chiefs, not enough Indians in, in this department. So everybody wants to have control on how they do things. Now, when you have, like I say, an inspector come out, he may fail you for one thing, and then you fix that issue. Another inspector comes out, and he wants something totally different. So there is no standard operating procedure. So it takes it takes forever for the for the stuff to get built. And people, you know, okay, I understand that. There's also an issue too with the fact that everything that gets built winds up being a luxury building. 
<laughs> so that's the one thing I love to hear from uh, city council is their push for vert vertical mixed-use buildings, which I think are great. Where they always talk about, oh, we're gonna have like bodegas and places where people can shop. Bodegas. Yeah, they, they, like, in, like, in like New York. Yeah, yeah, they want that, that kind of like grocery stores here. No, you don't. You don't want that. No, you don't. You do not want a bodega in on. No, you don't want that shit at all. No, you don't. No, because anywhere there where there's a bodega, it's never like you never have bodegas in the nice neighborhoods. No. You want to have like micro grocery stores. Yes. In, yeah. And these vertical mix buildings, but the, the, that's not what's happening. What we're seeing yeah. is you're getting like Orange Theories or Stretch Labs or like yoga studios popping up, and. Wait. Yoga studios are fine, but they're, okay. they're fine. But if you're trying to create low-income housing, that's not the type of thing that you want on the bottom, so people can actually have access to the resources that they need to buy groceries or stay within their area and not have a vehicle. Yeah, you need micro grocery stores. You need to figure out a way to get sustainable. You need to get figure out a way to work with um, regenerative farmers or like you know sustainable vegetable gardens like the JVG types to supply food. Correct. You know, or you may, you got to make it easier for like people like that to get the permits instead of a, a housing development company. I agree. So I think that's that's an important factor to consider because there are literal food deserts all over. Like, well, in the area of Austin that you're running in, it's filled with food deserts, right? Oh yeah, um, I mean, filled with food deserts and filled with deserts of no public transportation. Literally, it's like a nearly almost an hour and a half walk to the closest bus stop by my house. And if I had to walk to the grocery store, that's a almost a two hour, two and a half hour walk. Um, you know, I thought about something. How do you feel about the scooters? Downtown, I think they're horrible. Too many accidents, you get drunk people on them, high people on them. Um, I think it was a great It kills idea. our business. It kills your it business. It kills us, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was a great idea, but horribly implemented to be downtown. I agree, I think that scooters are awesome and we should have more micro mobility, and we should embrace that. We probably could embrace that more than this this light rail, which is just going to make things even more expensive, and it's going to take ten years to build. Um, but I and I always said that I think that you should have scooters at the bus stops. Yeah, you should figure out a way to like really push forward and push like put you know figure out a way to like push items on the agenda that like are have practical value. Like, hey, we're going to um, reappropriate like twenty percent of the scooters downtown. Put them at bus stops in East Austin, in my district. We're gonna put scooters, scooters and, and we're going to put scooters and put the scooters near our affordable housing complexes. Because there is a lot of affordable sense. housing complexes out there. There's um, there's communities, generally speaking, where like the median family income is like at a lower rate. You have, I'm sure you got data for that, don't you? Or like figuring out like which areas have like the lowest family MFIs. Oh yeah, well, yeah. There's, there, the city has data on that. Yeah, so you could just find those areas and just put scooters in those areas. I would probably discourage the scooters and do more of the e-bikes because it allows them to say if they want to ride the bike to the grocery store, they can have a basket on that bike versus a scooter. Sure. Any, issue. any any kind of micro they should just put these micro mobility devices there. Yeah. Or put the scooters at bus stops or have scooters even in those areas because you can ride that scooter to get on the bus or get on the train. Yeah. I think. Food for thought, you know, if you happen to get into office, it should be something that, you know. Well, that's something that, that I, I want, I want to prove on yeah, is actual public idea. transportation. Because that's something that my mom did before she got into politics, is she drastically improved the public transportation for the bus routes in my hometown. How did she do that? 
that was a very long conversation. Well, you know, like elevator, elevator answer. How did you do it? Uh, she showed the disparities on the lack of current transportation and the, uh, the travel times. Uh, and so she showed another route on how to improve travel times, increase wages so we had more bus drivers and with benefits. So people would actually want to drive be a bus driver. So I, I don't know what the current benefits are for our bus drivers. I know they're not paid that well, so we don't have a whole lot of them. Um, it is a very demanding job, especially when you're dealing with the public. And they did, do they still make them wear masks? I've seen them with wearing masks. I don't think it's mandated. That should have never been a thing. It should have never been a thing. That should have never been a thing. And you see people like driving empty buses with masks on. Like, yes. well, what are you doing? Well, I, I see people driving the car by themselves with their Well, masks. no, but you also could, there could also be a rule enforced by the city that you have to always have a mask on when you're driving the bus. It, so, it like, there's some, some of these rules are a little ridiculous. It could, I mean, it could be a policy that's not on the books. The lady who checks your parking ticket at City Hall, you know what I'm talking about? Whatever yes. they get at. She's by herself, just chilling with nobody around, and she has a mask on. I think, I think they had a policy still down in City Hall to wear a mask, because even most security guards were wearing them still to this day. The security guards still have to wear masks, but they got rid of the mask policy? Or they're just choosing. I don't know. Some, uh, it, some it could be a choice. Just, yeah. yeah and I, I don't... I don't I don't tease anybody. I don't give anybody any no for it. There's no reason for it, right? It's your choice to do it. But um, if they're still forcing that, that's insane. It really is. I mean, the masks don't help. It's kind of like the TSA. They've never really stopped a terrorist attack. They're yeah. To make, they're to make you feel good and make you feel safe. They actually haven't done anything. They have, have they? Well, I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like, like any major attacks, but they have, they have. You're probably less likely like to try to do. You're probably less likely to try to do terrorism now that the TSA's gotten stricter, though. That could be their true point. Their justification. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, throw out a, a statement, but yeah, I, I think a lot of that. I think we're on the same page with a lot of that stuff. Um, but going back to the similarities between California and here, we're seeing like the identity politics starting to really surface here in Austin, and. Everything's getting blamed on racism. Oh well, I I, I know you 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 had a firsthand experience with that. Yes, yes, I did. Well, would you like to share? So we were, we, we, were <laughs> a, we were doing a candidate interview. So it was a group interview with the statesman. It was myself, Natasha Harper Madison, Councilwoman Madison Clint, you bigot. It's Cap Councilwoman Harper. Madison. Councilwoman Harper Madison. Um, and then Melanie House Dixon. You racist. And you, what, are you going to a clans meeting after that? <laughs> and so me and Melanie House Dixon, we're kind of tag teaming against Natasha because of the statements that she were saying or, or the data didn't really support it. And I, I guess it just gave her the opportunity to play the victim um, when I was trying to agree with her on how high crime is in a lot of metropolitan cities. And I was breaking it down on why there's high, high crime. But when I said, yes, I agree with Natasha, and then she corrected me. I didn't say anything for a second. Then I just said her name again and continued on um, because that's an ego thing. If you're going to interrupt me to have me address you a certain way, then that's going to make me not want to address you by some imaginary yeah, you're, title that you're, you're um, your life. You're a servant, not royalty. When you when you, when you um, become an elected official, you serve the public. You shouldn't be considered as royalty. So people should call you that. People should call you however they feel comfortable calling you. Yeah, by your first name or your last name, but addressing you without demeaning you. Like, I'm not calling Mackenzie Kelly, Councilman Kelly. I'm like, hey, Mackenzie. Yeah, I mean, I did the same thing with Kirk Watson when I run into him. People still call him Senator Watson. 
I don't call Mayor Adler Mayor Adler. I call Adler or Stephen. Stephen, I used to call him that to make fun of when I ran against him. But I, I, for me, calling him Stephen, even though that's his first name, he, he is a lot older than me, so it's a little weird calling him by his no, first name. No, I think it's great. I think it's hilarious to just call him that because of just how incompetent he is as a city official. I mean, he's great to talk with, but yeah, he's not a great leader. Oh, yeah, I mean, he'd be a fun guy to, like, watch a baseball game with or go, like, go to a bar with or have a discussion with, right, face-to-face, but yeah. I, I don't really want to do that when you actively try to stop people like me from advancing in life. Oh, yeah, especially when, when he destroyed the yeah, small yeah, industry. Yeah, like, there, there is no reason for me to want to talk to you. Like, the only reason I want to talk to you now is just to make fun of you. Like, I, I, I couldn't. I, I have, like, a sick, when I see him, like, I, I do have, like, a sickening feeling in my stomach a little bit, like, just even. Having to be around my dad, I feel like I want to throw up a little. I had a like that's just that's what it is. You know what I mean? Like you, if it were up to you, and if we had a different governor, um, we would have been closed for a year. We wouldn't even have a pedicab shop. I there's there'd be there's a real possibility we wouldn't even have a pedicab well, shop anymore. If Beto O'Rourke was governor since COVID hit, we would still be in lockdowns right now. Well, we not right now, but wouldn't be like California where they still have partial lockdowns depending on. How radical your mayor is that aligns with Newsom. Are they still doing lockdown in California, or is that did that, that end because it's just you know an election? It's city by city, case by case by case. They're still, but they're not doing that anymore. Though. They stopped, right? Well, they still have mask mandates in some of the schools, not all the schools. Yeah. Um, they had where you couldn't have a certain amount of people in the facility, so they had caps on um, capacity. They're still going on in California, um, so they didn't. Have, they don't have full shutdown measures right now but they still have COVID restrictions they still have these restrictions and and i, I really do think that if you have depending on who the governor is um these restrictions could start coming back after this election and i don't know where this power is coming from that allows them to take this much control because even when everything was ratified and they wrote the constitution we were in a war and they didn't have this much control over. Well, the that, that's what all, all the CRT um, stuff is about. It's about um, conditioning the next generation of kids to hate America, so that um, there is no constitution in ten years when the next emergency hits. Oh yeah. That's that's what that's that's what this. Um, if it's CRT, it's, we're not we're it's, not going down that. We don't need to go down that route yeah, right now. Like you're, you have DEI a DEI. Yeah, or... yeah, and it's and I think that um, people need to realize that this this stuff has nothing to do with actually um, creating equity amongst black and white people or solving racism or doing anything, all it's designed to do is it's designed to weaponize some really fucked up shit we did in the past to condition the next generation of kids to hate this country and every value that we hold, even the values that are good, which are most of them. So that next time any kind of emergency hits, people will just give up their rights voluntarily with no struggle, and what we had to deal with during COVID will not be something we deal with again. That, that's what I think this whole CRT stuff is designed to do. Yeah, I mean, if you can look at any country, and they're going to have blood on their flag from atrocities Any, that they've done in the, yeah. in the history of their country. Yeah. And you, you can't blame people that are alive today for the atrocities of people that have committed in the past. No, I, I agree. Um, especially when you're, you use all these identity politics and, and there are no and you're not coming up with any viable solutions. That will actually help anybody. Like, if you're coming with viable solutions that help people, like, hey, we have a patented history of racism and that's taken place for 400 years in America, and as a result of slavery and, and segregation, um, you know, black people are 40% less likely to own investable assets as a result of stuff that's happened in the past through no fault of their own, as well as no fault of our own. 
let's try and fix this by um, investing more money than we usually would have to like create financial education programs in inner city schools or give them access to Bitcoin mining or really provide education into how they, how sound money can be adopted in underfunded communities. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nobody would argue with that. No matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you're like, okay, yeah, this is a great idea. I would love to do that. Nobody's coming up with that. They're just saying, hey, uh, get rid of cops because of white supremacy. <laughs> like that's like, you know, it's ridiculous. Or, or hey, you didn't want to wear a mask because you're a white supremacist. Like that's all they're doing is they're just using, they're throwing words around um, without really knowing what these words mean or caring to know what they mean. And it, it just seems that the politicians nowadays are looking for ways to increase their political career or one-up one another. It's more of a popularity contest versus actually bettering your community and your country. Well, yeah, that's been going on forever. Oh, yeah, and it's going to keep going on unless people that's, actually that's, stand up. That's, that's been going on forever. Um, have you got any criticism for your decision to run as a, uh, speaking of these as identity politics stuff, have you got any criticism for your decision to run for city council as a uh, red-headed white dude in a uh, predominantly black district that was designed to be a black district under the Voting Rights Act? So the only people that have given me criticism are the people that I already knew that would never vote for me to begin with. Um, and there were three people online, which I've never met um, at all, but I know they're pretty big down in City Hall. Don't know their um, names by heart. Um, but going out and knocking on the doors, over 15,000 doors so far, I've literally have only 16 people that disagreed with me. And out of those 16, only three of them became verbally hostile. What, how, did, how, did those, how did those bad interactions go? Like what happened? So when I said that I wanted to end guaranteed housing for the homeless and do a treatment towards, um, uh, shelter towards treatment approach, so getting everybody off the street because nobody should be forced to live on the street, providing a cot or a bunk bed like we did in Afghanistan where you have these pop-up tents that can sleep a thousand people. That way we can figure out, okay, who has chronic homelessness, who has drug abuse problems, whatever, mental health issues so we can actually identify the services that they need to help them get back on their feet and there are going to be some that don't want help at all and there are going to be some that you're going to need to make the decisions for them because just they're so far gone um this individual thought it was too harsh to pull them off the street and not to let them live the life that they wanted another person said well why do you want to get nonprofits involved like the salvation army they're just going to push religion on these people i was like well have you actually gone down and toured the facility because i haven't partaking in their religious beliefs is not a requirement to actually have access to their resources. Yeah, and honestly, like, that's not the worst thing in the world to be exposed to when you're, like, you when know, you, a when you're drug struggling. addict and you're, like, strung out on the streets. It's probably not a bad thing to be exposed to anyway. I mean, even if you're against religion, faith may help someone reach recovery. It could, yeah, it could. Um, I mean, you shouldn't force it on people, but that, that is an, uh, another tool in the toolbox to help people. Yeah. And that's been proven, so why not use whatever tool you can to just help somebody recover? I mean, even AA, they, they, they use uh, faith-based sometimes, depending on what class you go to. But it's funny, because if you actually look at the history of AA and the gentleman that invented it, um, his whole philosophy was about doing AA on shrooms. What? Yeah. Tell me that. That's interesting. You're going to have to ask my wife. She knows more about that than me. All right. Uh, there, she has the book, which I can give you to read. Um, AA on shrooms? Yeah. So it, it's, I mean, shrooms are good for you anyway, though. It, 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 like, it's supposed to help uh, rebalance the... Chemical imbalance in your body, and that was the whole thing on reaching recovery is going into that external realm, um, which 
whatever it is. You know, I, don't know. I mean, that is kind of true. I, I think there, there's a lot of truth to that. And even microdosing is like proven through numerous studies to be good for you and help you work harder and like help you work smarter and help you have like more clarity of focus and also helps your brain do like a reset when you're burnt out from like being stressed out and stuff like that. Like there are like medical benefits to doing that. Yeah. I mean, they, they, my wife, she uh, did some uh, ketamine treatments cause she's, she's a recovering alcoholic. And oh, she, I didn't know that. Uh, she did uh, she relapsed once and then she tried the ketamine treatment and it worked wonderful, wonders for her. And she hasn't had any cravings ever since. Wow. That's fucking wild. Yeah, so she used to do AA meetings all the time, and I'd go with her for support. And now, no more AA meetings. She doesn't have to do ketamine treatments anymore. I think she did six six sessions. Yeah, I have friends that like um, smoking weed help cure their opiate addictions. Yeah, it's crazy how this stuff is. Yeah, there's different resources depending on yeah. what works and what doesn't work crazy. for your body. It's crazy how that stuff works. Um, but nobody's giving you shit about being like the only like being a white dude running in a um, can't in, in a district that's designed specifically for a black person. I mean, none of these seats are supposed to be designed for any specific race. I mean, they say say it is, but I mean that and that's just ingenuous to say. Well, you can't run for District Nine because you're black. I agree. I think that's also I think that's pretty silly. I think we're in 2022 now, and I understand originally why that was drawn out because things were a lot more segregated back then oh, yeah. and you wanted to have rep you wanted to make sure like you had that design because other if you didn't have the design you would just um cut off an entire community of people from representation and that's a problem right but i think that we're at a point now where, where we've evolved so much that that's kind of a non-issue i think um like should district nine it should be a non-issue dude the guy who um district nine can have a black city council member uh, Joe? Yeah, that guy could win. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's out there. He's doing what he needs to be doing. Yeah, he's he grinding, knocking doors. Yeah, so I mean, there's some stuff about him that player. worries me. But maybe I'll, one day I'll meet him. I'm sure he's probably cool to talk to. He's, he's decent to talk to, and there's a lot of things I disagree with him. I've talked to him a couple times. I mean, we've never had any bad uh, interaction. He probably, he, he'd probably take pedicabs. I guarantee you, he t- I, I got to buy from that he takes pedicabs, or he would support us. Or he'd go ride around on a pedicab and, like, figure out some of the problems with, like, the downtown congestion. And that's all I'd want if I'm, you know, as somebody who works in District 9, that's all I would want is somebody that would help make it easier for me to make a living and work in that area. I don't care how you feel nationally. I don't give a shit about that. You're, you're trying to, like, fix their traffic lights. I don't care. You know, like, that's, 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 that's the job yeah, right? yeah, you just fix the traffic lights, dude. Fix the traffic lights. Fix the traffic. Like, um, make it so I don't have to worry about getting stabbed on my way to, on my way to work. Make it so I don't have to worried about getting robbed in a pedicab make it so that like um you know people aren't scared to go downtown because because of crime going up or because of the perception of crime going up because perception is reality perception is reality and reality is crime is up crime is up a lot because crime is also very low for years so by percentage it's always going to go it's always going to be a super high percentage when it's at zero you know what i mean there's always the biggest percentage jump is the percentage from zero (laughs) So that that's also people got to talk about this. Got to be in reality. I think it's. I think you do a pretty good job of communicating that. Yeah, I mean, we have a city council that's detached from reality. Yes, that's the first step. They they make a lot of decisions based on hope, and hope is not a plan. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, how do you how do you see this? Um, well, what let's that that, that track. How, How's the uh, campaign going for you? 
Campaign's going really great. Um, it really picked up after the community barbecue that we did. We cooked How it up. was that? Was that like last week or something? It was September 24th. All right. So I think it was like two weekends ago. Okay. Uh, we cooked enough food to feed a thousand people. It was a bunch of brisket and chicken. Oh, look at that. Okay. Had about 400 or 500 people turn out. Dude, you have 500 people turn out to your barbecue? Not at just one time. So we had it from 12 to 6 p.m. And so during that time, we had about four to 500 people come and eat. You probably got about 300 new voters from that. I mean, well, the goal was just to bring communication back into the community. Yeah, but they know who you are. A lot of people, especially in areas like District 1, they they have a pretty low vote, vote turnout in that area, right? So the only people that knew who Natasha Harper-Madison were were people that were on her camp, on, on her payroll. So I've not, I knocked on two of her staffers' houses, and those were the only two people that knew who she was because they worked for her or they were friends with her. Um, everybody else, when I talked to them, they don't know who their council person was. I was the first person that ever ran for city council that has actually physically knocked on their door and spoke to them in 15, okay. 20, 30 years. Wow. So what do you think your chances are of actually winning? Because I remember when I first met you, I was a little uh, I was a little dismissive of you when I first met you. <laughs> a lot of people were. and I, I, Well, I mean, I liked you when I first met you. I was like, dude, you seem really cool. I'd vote for you, but... Considering where you're running, you have no fucking. T- that was what I said to you. I was like, "Oh, you're like, you're like, hey man, I'm running against Natasha Harper Madison." I was like, yeah, "Good luck with that." So, what <laughs> do I find, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Good, like, good luck with that, man. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I started laughing. <laughs> and I, I knew I wasn't going to raise a lot of money um, for my campaign, so I focused on what I could do and what I had control over. Okay. And that is pounding the pavement and knocking doors. And because I, I got seven years of uh, experience of doing door to door sales. Um, yeah, you sell solar panels. Yeah, solar yeah. panels. And so I, 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 might actually, I might want to get some solar panels from my house in Java City, so we may. Well, yeah, yeah you may get that, some. That's, that's blue bonnet out there, right? I don't fucking know. Well, if it is, don't get, don't, don't go solar with blue bonnet. Or no, Vernon Alice Electric. That's that's, that's what's up there. Horrible well, for solar. Why? Well, I can't just use you. No, no, no it's, it's the electric company. Oh yeah. They, so they're, they're not solar bad. friendly. So then don't even bother. Don't even bother on your house. Oh, all right. Thanks for letting um, me know. That was an easy sell. I don't want you to waste your money. I, I appreciate it. There you go. You see, we have honest. We need honest politicians. There you go. But that's how I. Yeah, that's how I killed. Yeah, okay. That's how I killed in the solar industry. It's just All right. you educate the homeowner about solar and just be honest and sell to self. All right. And if you're not honest, people can read that. Okay. And so that's how I approach this: is just being honest with people and talking about what I went through in California and how that's happening here and what I want to do to stop it. And so, I, people have been very receptive. Uh, depending on where I'm knocking in District 1, uh, it's either a very super socialist neighborhood or it's a very independent neighborhood. I haven't found like a, where they lean left or lean right because it's a mixture of all of them, but a lot of them are transplants in District 1 because there's so much new residential. There are There is a um, large transplant community. My uh, boss at the pub crawl, well, he was my former boss at the pub crawl company because he started doing something else. Uh, not this, where I drive the party bikes. Um, yeah. He and his wife, well, it was then his fiance, and they had a, um, they looked like an East Saucer by LBJ. Actually, one of my, uh, my buddy Randy's the principal of that high school. So you should try to go, go talk to him. I'll try to introduce you guys, see if I can. Yeah, um, I dropped off, uh, that's right in my backpack, uh, run. Dropped, uh, I got 12 backpacks or 13 backpacks that I turned in for the backpack drive. Cool. All right. Um, but anyway. You know, they got, they, um, they have a house out there, right? And there's definitely, like, whole communities of people just like, you know, Matt and Grace, my, my boss and his wife, right, that are out there. Um, 
that weren't out there four years ago. And so it's a whole new demographic of people to reach. And, and a lot of people are moving out there because a lot of people, a lot of people like that who are moving out there that bought homes, right? Not the people that are renting because the people that are renting, like they're socialists, not to generalize, but chances are they probably got some trust fund from their parents and that's and they're paying for everything. You know, mom and dad are still funding them. So they don't really understand, you know, responsibility. Yeah. Or the effects of what these liberal policies do when you try to like make it on your own, it makes it almost next to impossible or it makes it that much harder. Um, you know, so, you know, there are, there's a lot of people like my boss's wife that have moved there. And, um, I think that that's a demographic that would be very receptive to you. And I think a lot of the, you know, awesome political insiders don't fully realize that yet. And you seem to have realized that. Yeah. <laughs> Not going on the doors and actually talking to people, it opened my eyes on how many people are upset. There are even progressives that are upset because they, they were sold one thing and then what I ended up actually happening was the opposite. But the very thing that scares me um, going out there and talking to individuals is 60% or more, so it's probably between 16 and 65% of the people I've spoken to aren't even registered to vote and don't want to vote. There's a lot of voter apathy in those areas. A lot of voter apathy. So how, how, do, how do you go about that? So the number one thing I always ask them is, why don't you want to vote? Well, it doesn't matter how I vote, the city's going to do what they're going to do. And they, they always bring up the camping ban, for example. Like, it, when it was passed, it was never enforced and it's never been truly enforced. They only really do cleanups when events come. Yeah. Like the South by Southwest, and we saw ACL, that ACL. Yeah, yeah. we saw big cleanups happening. And I, I was even in the KXAN, and a gentleman named Jackson and the city of Echo was disagreeing with what I was saying. It's like, well, if, if, if I'm wrong, then provide all your cleanup rosters, all the data that what, what days you actually cleaned up one week before uh, ACL and then two weeks prior okay. to that as well. Did they do that? No. That's interesting. I mean, I've called them out on their, um, on their data sheets for the homeless as well. Um, when they say there's 4,500 people homeless, I say, well, how far do you guys go out and actually count? You guys go like climb through the green belts and do that? No, we don't do that. There's not. They, they do a very half-assed job. They do, well, they try to count as little as possible, so, so this way you can make it seem like so it's not getting, as bad. Yeah, but at the same time, though, the more homeless we have, the more money they might need. You, you will get more money. So that's that's another thing. So, so I don't know. I mean, sword. there's there's like it's a weird way of. I don't trust it either way. It doesn't seem like they're really trying all that hard. And what pisses me off the most is they. They try to manipulate the data as well with saying that 95% of the people facing homelessness are Austinites, which is 100% wrong. It's over 70% of the people facing homelessness were already homeless before they came to Austin. And I've been to two different uh, candidate forums or summits, they call them, um, where ECHO was in Housing Works where they're talking about it. Oh, that was and fun. I said, so how do you verify that they're actually Austin residents? Well, we just ask for a zip code or what hospital they were born in or um, uh, what their last residence was. I was like, did you guys verify it at all? No, it's all, we just, we just trust them. You and trust I, a crackhead? And I said, what? well, if you, know, if you know anything about the homeless community, me especially being in California and my wife having a friend that was homeless and a, and a meth head, um, if you say certain words or if you say you're gonna, going to harm yourself, then you're automatically going to jump the line to get a bed, get the services that you need. And they know if they don't say that they're from that city, that they may necessarily not get services at all. 
And so they've learned to say wherever they're at is where they were born or where they've lived at. But if you actually go out there and don't say you're represented from the city, which I, when I've been going out there for the last six weeks, talking to them and just breaking the ice, figuring out, hey, like, how did you end up on the street? And just treating them like a normal human being. And then I always ask, so where are you from? Always they're from out of Austin. So they're coming from Lubbock, they're coming from Houston, they're coming from California, they're coming from North Carolina, Oklahoma. And the reason why they come here is because they're not bothered. Well, they're start, starting to get bothered again because they're getting their camps cleaned up, but they're not being arrested, they're not getting kicked out, they're not being harassed. They're getting free food, they're getting free services with no strings attached. It's like, okay, if you're gonna participate in these services, okay, work with a social worker, get back on your feet. How, how can we get you more services to get you into maybe housing assistance to get into an apartment or a motel. How many of them actually want to get better? I'd say about 40%, maybe 50%. Okay, so what do you think the reason for them being stuck there is? A lot of them just want to live that lifestyle. No, but 50%. You said 50% want to get better. So the ones that want to get better, like why, why what do you think happened? So I'll give an example. Right? I'll give an example of the last gentleman that we're working with right now. Um, He's in his late 60s, uh, I think he's like 66, 67, and he's been homeless in Austin um, for three years. Okay. He's originally from Tennessee, uh-huh. and he was on a wait list for three years, and we met him two weeks ago, and the week prior, they closed out his, his account, saying that he's been, he's been helped. And we dug deeper into it, and we found out that Echo ended up calling his ex-girlfriend and because they she didn't know where he was because they know no longer dating they closed out his account because they didn't know where he was but he was on the streets he's been in the same camp for three years what kind of account did he have account like a bank account you know whatever the, the his account with echo to get the housing he's on the housing wait list okay this is definitely my girlfriend guaranteed nope my friend heath sorry dude Sorry about that. Um, anyway, continue. I'm so sorry about those. And so he closed. They closed out his. Fuck. <laughs> closed out his account. All right. And right now we're in the process of trying to get him into a motel and then get him into the community first village because he qualifies to be in the community first village. Okay, and Echo just closed it because they his could, girlfriend said that they couldn't find it. Yeah. And they just called his girlfriend. But why did they call his girlfriend? I don't know. We couldn't get an answer why they only went to him and didn't go to his encampment where he's been at. And that's from him. So you don't even know if he's telling a straight story. No, but we found out through Echo when we contacted them that his account was closed, and we found out it was because his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend. And you met this guy, and he told you a story, and then you caught you, you called Echo to see what's going on. And yeah, we just... called. We called. We, we spoke to him when we were going through an encampment, and he told us his story that he's been on the waiting list for three years, and he doesn't doesn't know what's going on for housing, right? For housing. And but he then did, what, he didn't know his but, account was okay, closed. Okay, so here's another question. Like, you've been homeless for three years. He's been homeless for three years. Yeah, he's been homeless for three years. So, I mean, what has he done in those three years to try to, like, improve his life? Because, I mean, you don't need Echo to, like, give you housing just to, like, improve your life. Like, you can still say, hey, fuck this. I'm going to, like, go away tables or I'm going to find something else to do. I'm going to do PPD medical study. I used to be a test subject. You know that? No. Yeah. When I first moved to Austin, like, after my first year, I wanted to be a school teacher and it didn't work out. Uh, which is another story. Where, like, I don't want to go into the whole, yeah. Shebang in that, right? But, like, uh... I, you know, sacrificed a whole year of my life to try to, like, teach elementary school, right? And I found out about these PPD studies where you can go volunteer for a medical study, stay in the house for a week, they give you whatever the medication is that they want to test, 
you know, um, you stay there for like whatever the time frame is, and you got like two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, depending on how long you want to stay there for, right, or what the study's for. Um, and so, once I like didn't get hired to be as a teacher, and I have like six thousand or seven thousand dollars of credit card debt, um, and like two hundred bucks in my bank account, I'm like, holy shit, like. I'm going to not be able to live in Austin if I don't fix this. I have to go home and live with my mom again. And I don't want to do that. So I did a medical study for like three days or for like a weekend or something like that. And made two grand, you know. And then I did like a handful of other studies like that year. and just paid off all my credit card bills and got back on my feet from doing that. I so like I think I, a lot of it has to do with, with people not knowing or willing to accept what their bottom is and actually avoid hitting that bottom. Some people, they, they just don't care and they, they want free handouts. I'm not saying this is Henry's circumstance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know he's a diabetic with HIV. Oh, that's uh, okay. So he probably couldn't even do any of these studies anyway with all that. All right. Yeah, he probably couldn't do any of these studies. I don't know what his ability to do what kind of work that's available for him. Is he still using drugs? No. Um, so he gets a ride once a week to restock on his um, insulin. Okay. Um, and then his HIV pills as well. All right. And he's living in an encampment. He's living in a tent on the Williamson Creek Greenbelt. Off of I-35. Right in the green. I mean, that's not a problem? It is a problem. No, when you have a bunch of homeless people living in tents on the Greenbelt, like, that's not good for the environment. It's not good for the environment. It's also a fire hazard because there have been multiple fires in these green belts. Yeah, because you're by a bunch of wood. Yeah, and what happens when it's one of the green belts where the encampments are, it's like half a mile in, you can't get a fire truck to. And a fire goes out, and it's between residential and commercial. And it spreads, and it and it's like, oh, you know, my house just burned down because of a bunch of homeless people. Like, that's not going to fuel um, goodwill towards the homeless. No. No. It's going to make more people upset. And it's going to create more anti-homelessness and more right-wing mentalities amongst people. Yes. That, yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, I, I feel for them. Nobody I, in our council thinks about this. No, they don't. They, they, they think it's compassion, allowing these people just to sleep in the woods. It, it's not even just a safety hazard for them. It's a safety hazard for the people that live in the homes around them. You think they really believe? Yeah, well, yeah. You think they really believe that, though? I do. I honestly do believe people think it's compassionate to allow No, you think our council members? Who have been wine and dine by developers for like the past four years. Do you think they believe this? I think Vanessa does. I think so. I do. She, I think she's the one that's trying to bring the harm reduction injection sites to Austin. Huh? She's, she thinks it's compassion to allow them to have a, a safe place to inject their heroin or their meth. That's not very compassionate. No, it's it's an enabling the drug industry, the, the cartels basically. You're keeping the cartels working. You're giving them an actual legitimate way to make a living. Oh, we could just go supply these drugs to the site. Oh, you could supply the drugs to the, the person who's co- who's in coordination to buy the drugs. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you get to a point where like the city will buy swaths of heroin just to safely administer to the homeless. Like, I can see that. I can see them doing some bullshit like, like that too. You see in San Francisco with their safe injection sites, you get the facility right here, and then just down the street are all the drug dealers selling you all all your drugs you need. You go over there, and they have clean needles. For they have a nurse to make sure you don't OD. Man, I just used to go be a drug dealer. An open drug market, why not? Yeah, I mean, that's where the money is. Why, why, why go to school? Like, why work a 9-5? I 
That's what a scam, right? That's like, yeah. A lot of teens, a lot of teens are getting sucked into that drug trade to sell or traffic drugs through TikTok. That's a big thing that's happening with kids right now because why? Why go to college? Why get a nine to five when you can make thousands of dollars easily? And the city's enabling it, and the DA's not going to prosecute me. What? What? Wild stuff. Don't even give me on the DA. The wild, wild. Well, our DA is. Um, you know, I think we only have like 10 more minutes left. Um, but we were talking earlier about uh, about how Austin is on, path, on, on a path to, towards turning into San Francisco and Los Angeles. Right. And we are on that path. The question is, how far along that path are we? Is it too, uh, is it too late to turn back? Um, and... How do we communicate? How do we communicate this better without sounding like, you know, right wing fear mongers? Sadly, if that makes you know what I mean. Sadly, unless we start seeing more moderate candidates, even if it's a moderate Democrat or a moderate Republican getting elected into city council and even our school boards, we've already seen in California. It, had, it literally had to impact the residents that voted them in before they decided to wake up. Like Chester Booty where he got recalled. Yes, exactly. Prime example. But that's not. But, but by then it's it's too late. Like that that mayor is going to probably appoint somebody that's going to not do any not be that much different. So the temporary DAs are doing a pretty good job, um, but unless they get someone like her or similar to her elected next term. Um, so it's just going to fall back, back into the same hole. And even if we elect all the right people here in Austin, it's going to take us at least 10 years to clean up the mess that has been caused over the last sure. eight years. But, but here's the other thing, too, and I think that with how things are going, it'll probably take about 10 years to turn into San Francisco. Correct. So either way, it's, we're, at, we're at the halfway inflection point, I think. That's what I think we are. And my, my thing is that, like, we have been saved by a lot of the disastrous implications of these policies because of who governs us at the state level. And it's not even that, it's that the state capital is here in Austin. So that's the only reason why there's been so many checks against our city council and mayor. Because if Austin was say Georgetown, none of, none of that would have been as checked as quickly with Abbott. Even though I don't agree with Abbott on a lot of that's things. That's true. It could also be that our city is doing this stuff to like just um, appease like progressive voters, knowing that they can't accomplish it, so it's just an easy way. For, it's just an easy way for them to get votes oh, without easy, having to do it. Easy way to yeah. buy votes. Yeah, it's just an easy way for them to buy votes, and they know that like none of what they actually want to do is going to get accomplished, so they can just go do it and be more cavalier about it, because they know like oh, I can just I can I can throw out a whole bunch. I can go let the homeless do whatever they want. I can go defund the police. I can do a whole bunch of crazy shit. I'm, I'm in Steve Adler's head. I, I can go do all this stuff, and Abbott's going to shoot this down. I know he's going to shoot this down. I'm going to use Abbott shooting this down to fundraise off of this. What's the problem? It's a win-win. Yeah. Like, I think that there is that type of, uh, there's a weird balance in Austin that, like, allows our city council members to, like, pretend to be a lot more progressive than they actually are. I mean, look at, uh, look at Alter, for Does that mean, you example. know, like, yeah? She's trying to, she, she's publicly said that they're trying to circumvent the law to restrict gun sales for under 21. But they know that they'll never do that. Yes, Exactly. But the fact that you openly said that you're trying to circumvent the law 
as a sitting city council member should automatically have you removed from seat. They're trying to violate yeah, that's state not, law. But at the same time, though, like if the state made a law trying to do mandates, and you know you, you'd want to circumvent that too. So I think that like there's always a weird balance. Plus, Allison was the only candidate, only member of council who voted against um, the homeless thing in 2019. Did you know that? No. She actually voted. She was the only one when they um, rescinded the camping ban. She was the only one who voted against the city's decision to so I think it rescind her district. Yes, but she still voted. But she still voted against that, and that's why, like, when she ran against Jennifer Burton, that saved her from losing. She kept her seat because she didn't vote to take the ban away. I mean, it's pretty smart. I mean, look at the like Paige Ellis. She didn't vote. To raise her, and neither did Mackenzie. But they're still going to take that. They're still going to oh, take yeah. that cheddar. And I, I've already publicly stated that I'm not going to. You know, what you should cheddar. do. Give that money. To, I mean, you're still going to get it, right? Give that money to the lunch lady at LBJ. Well, I was going to give it to either teachers or people at the school district or towards uh, Community First Village to get more. That works housing. too. No, don't give it to any any nonprofit. Just give it to the lunch lady. Give it to a human. Give it to the bus driver and the lunch lady. Just give the, give one of the lunch ladies forty racks. Who cares? Just give it to her. Well, or every I'll, week, I'll like, or, give, I'll have to give her what I, after my taxes. After your taxes, yeah, like the difference. Like what you do is like you're like, all right, man, you're gonna get what an extra thousand dollars a week added to your check or something, like extra eight hundred bucks a week. I think it's just about eight hundred bucks. Maybe. An extra eight hundred bucks a week, right? So I like five hundred out of those eight hundred dollars. Just give it to a different lunch lady. Hey, I got this te- got this pay raise. I'm gonna throw you five bills right now. Just keep doing that and just make take pictures. Yo, this is a five hundred dollar giveaway. We're actually giving this. We're actually using this to help you in the community. Just do that. And I got a big, big check too. And I got a big check. Yeah. Just you know, you know what I mean. Like, what's that seems like a much better PR move than just oh, saying I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna go give it to some fun, and then by then I'm gonna walk away. And who knows what they do with the money? True. Who knows? But this way, you have direct control over it, and then you get to build relationships in the community for four years straight. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Yeah, I definitely want to do more community right? outreach barbecues too. Right? Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a good idea. You're gonna, I mean, you're already going to be paying any 80k a year anyway. You're already doing pretty well. I, I don't need to be making it. Well, I make more of the money doing solar than I would ever in city council. So you, but you're fine. You're comfortable. You're not doing this for money. You're not doing this for anything. Oh no! I, you, you, like I, I actually ran for a council seriously, and, and I was, I didn't even want to do it. I just like saw the direction that Austin's headed in, and I'm like. You know, it's not about making change. It's something that's about stopping horrifying changes from happening. And you should at least try. And I think, you know, you're a new crop of can. You're a new crop of um, political candidates. And um, you know, I, one of the other criticisms I've got about you is that you know they point to your inexperience and the fact that like, oh, you know, you you don't have a, do- a, a degree in public policy or urban planning or you know. Most of the council members, they have master's degrees. Some even have PhDs. And the city's turned out so well so far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly like the right selling point. You, you need people that have life experience, not education. Because people that can't do, they teach. And that's what we have up at city council. The people out there preaching and trying to teach us on how we should be living. Yeah. No, I... Um... I agree with that, and I think that when you get too insulated within a box, and that's what um, education has become, it's become an echo chamber, for better or for worse, that's what it's, it's kind of devolved into. Um, when you're too stuck in that echo chamber, you you become closed off to new ideas, and sometimes you need somebody who is not within that echo chamber to offer a fresh perspective on leadership. 
And I think that we actually need that now more than ever. And then like also the people that go to school for those types of majors and the people that, you know, work in the nonprofits or the community organizers, like those people are literally funneled into government positions. And so the types of people that go through those programs, they've like wanted, they are the kid that wanted to be president when they were in middle school. And you don't really want your government to be filled with too many of those kids that wanted to be president. I wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah. And I, I, before I joined the military, I got all my fire science done. Then I was going to be a firefighter in the Air Force. That didn't pan out because the test scores were way too high. Uh, one of the highest to be in the Air Force. So I was like, you know what? I'll just go blow stuff up in the military and Army. So tell me, what do you do in the military? So when I was in the Army, I trained on route clearance um, before we went to Afghanistan. And what that meant was literally I was going to sit in a vehicle going three miles an hour, looking out my car window to see if I found bombs on the ground. And either the vehicle in front of me was going to find it with the mine detector panels on it or my okay. tire was going to hit it. Um, well, if your tire hit it, you're dead, right? Well, the vehicles how they're built, they're meant to detach. Okay. So when they blow up, it, it's not, and it has a V-hole shape, All so right. it disperses. But when we got over to Afghanistan, there's too many people doing route clearance, so they said, we're going to retrain you on mine detectors, and you're going to be on foot. Oh! And so I spent my tour working with tons of different branches of the military, uh, different countries. We worked with the Germans the longest, which they are crazy, but funny, and great people. <laughs> Uh, best food too, they get fresh food shipped in like frozen conixes. Um, but literally just walking around with a mine detector and a shovel for 11 months in Afghanistan, digging up IEDs in my hands. And IED is an improvised explosive device. So, um, you must be pretty cool under pressure if you can do that. Yeah, uh, 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 for me, like people are like, this is going to be a very hard campaign running in Austin. This is actually in D1. In the black neighborhood, you're the only white guy. You're going to really, I hope you can handle that. I hope you can handle the stress and the blowback you receive. And you're like, oh, you know, yeah, no worries. I mean, like I had a pretty, you know, the last job I had was going to, was a lot easier compared to that. I only dismantled, you know, uh, mines in yeah. Afghanistan. And it's been, it's been a cakewalk. And like the, the communities that I walk into, they've been very receptive, caring, compassionate people. Um, and everybody's just upset with what's going on. All right. But we just, we need more people to participate in voting. And it's going to take a lot of people voting to make change. Oh, duh. Well, Clint, have you ever, has anyone ever asked you to like release your records? Like, records? like your DD-214 record or something like that? No, I mean, I had Ryan Atulo with the uh, statesman ask me about my military disability. And I, I was transparent with him. I told him, now I'm 100% disabled veteran, here's my disabilities. Uh, all my injuries, and he's like, "Well, that will that hinder you from doing your job?" I was like, "Well, it didn't hinder me from running a solar company and working for the Department of Defense. So why would it hinder me from sitting in meetings all day long?" Yeah, it shouldn't, right? And that's what we, that's what we said. Well, it shouldn't. I was like, "Exactly." So why why even ask the question? I, it's his job. He's doing his job to ask. I, I know, but just like I'm asking you a bunch of questions too during this episode, right? Like that's it's your job. It's what you're supposed to do. I always like to push back. Ryan's all right. What do you think of Ryan? He's probably the only one that I read often because even though he has bias, he often pulls that bias out of his stories and he's, just presents the facts. He's pretty good about that. I don't think Ryan likes me too much anymore because of what happened with that KB reporter. Ah, 
Um, that's okay. You know, this, so it's she, like she a, reached out. She reached out to me too regarding the Natasha uh, incident. Yeah. And saying, "Oh, like, uh, let me talk to my producer and see if we can get the story do- going. I'll give you a call in a minute." And then it's been 21 days. So she's full of shit. Fuck her. Wow. I mean, I've never met her. She hasn't said anything rude about me or written about you me. You know, so it's, I got it's, it's just her. one of those things. I don't even have anything against that lady either. It's just, you know, the past few years, journalists have become activists for big pharma and for the security state. And when you're associated with that profession, that field, that's what you're clumped into. Even even if even if you didn't actively do anything to be a part of it, it's just what it, it's. Um, corporate journalists as a whole have like just completely destroyed their reputation to such an extent that anybody who's associated with that field is just going to get some blowback and I think that's what it was. Oh, I mean, Does that mean, you know what I mean? Like that, that's all. Yeah, my mom was a journalist for yeah. 10 years and she was an uh, editor-in-chief um, at the, our local paper and she even told me what, before I actually put my hat in the ring she's like, anytime you talk with a journalist make sure you have your phone in your pocket recording the whole time because they're going to twist it, they're going to manipulate it and they're going to lie. There is a lot of that. There, there's no, like, a, a lot of corporate journalists are tobacco executives. Ryan's all right, but he's still not, you know, he's not trying to do the right thing to, like, help. He's not je- He's not really trying to tell the truth and, and do things from an honest and ethical standpoint. He's just less of a snake than the other journalists. I can see that. That's that's all he is. I, I think it's more for job security. Because, I mean, there are, there are some great journalists out there, but they're all independent journalists. Mm-hmm. And... It, it's scary. Tony Blaski's good. The guy from Tony Blaski's actually good. The one who covered at who um, did Abbott's um, Adler's Cabo story. Who broke Adler going to Cabo? Uh, I, I saw the headline for it. I never read the story. That guy's act, that guy's good. I mean, he like he does a pretty good job. He did a really good job covering Uvalde and all the bull, all the crazy shit that happened in Uvalde. Oh my god, that was a yeah, mess. That's, that's a mess too. But he a lot, was a lot yeah. Of people need to be fired, and a couple people need to go, go to jail for that. Yeah, you know what it was too, man. That lady was covering like a vigil for like the Uvalde kids. So I'm like. I know you're not trying to be a real journalist. You're trying to be an activist. Like your design, you're there to try to push a gun control agenda in a mass shooting. And I'm like, yo, you guys caused this stuff. So I'm like, you know, there's a bunch of circumstances. And even if you look at the last like 20 mass shootings, it's all mental health issues. Every single one of them were on prescription drugs. A lot of that too. There's also a lot of them visit the same chat rooms. A lot of them have somebody in the chat room that's trying to antagonize and encourage them and try to group them to do a bunch of really far out off the wall shit and like we got to go into schools and like you want to stop these mass shootings you go into schools and you like really push teachers and educators and guidance counselors to like identify. teach kids yeah to identify like predator predatory behavior in chat rooms and figure out how to identify that because predatory behavior isn't just about sex it's about stuff like that too yeah i mean we, we also uh, we, i think we that can put it I, on the teachers though too we got to put it on parents too that well d- yeah of course, of, of course of course but like you know, you don't invest money in parents, you invest in teachers. And so Correct. with tax dollars, you could just say, hey, while the kids are here, we should talk about this. That's all. Um, a couple more things I was going to say. Um, what do you, um, so let's say you get elected. Well, well what, do you, what do you think your chances of winning honestly are? I believe that I will make the runoff. Do you think you'll make the runoff? I will make the runoff. Um, I love Melanie House Dixon. Eric's just cool. She's great. Um, I've spoken with her many times. Miss Ayel's cool. Been, been to her house. Really? Yeah, I uh, dropped off an avocado tree for her. Hey, all right, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. are her. you guys friends? When we, uh, I mean, I have her phone number. We've texted back and forth. I actually shared her uh, the states statesman article that came out this morning, where we, the group interview that all we right. did. She, they didn't even write a piece about her about anything about her platform. 
Wow, they don't. That, that's that's crazy. And so I let her know to reach out to statesman to get that corrected. Um, and the same thing, I'm civil with uh, Ramos as well. Um, we were going back and forth on one thing that we disagreed with because he tried to misinterpret what I said. Um, but we're still civil. There are no hard feelings. Um, Ramos is cool. Me and Ramos, when I ran for mayor, we once block walked together and gave water to the <laughs> to the homeless and just filmed ourselves doing it. So Ramos is probably the only other candidate that's working. Not as hard as me, but it's working harder than Natasha. Because Natasha's not even out there going door knocking. No, her team is. They got tasers. Yeah, her team has tasers. tasers. And she's been on a speaking tour for like the last week and a half. So she hasn't even been in Austin. She's going around the country yeah. speaking about transportation. She thinks she has this in the bag. There's a lot of hubris, I can tell. Well, she, she's doing a campaign from the basement. She's a, yeah, she's, she's running a bite. You know, um, it's like Jimmy Flanagan. She's becoming, she's another Jimmy Flanagan uh, in District 6. And that, that's how McKenzie was. People did not expect McKenzie. People did not think McKenzie Kelly was going to win. Well, yeah. You, all right. You underdogs. I mean, if you're gonna knock on. You can. All you gotta do is knock on more doors than that. Hey, win. What do you? How do you? What do you see? Um, let's say. Let's say you win. Um, and this is the last thing before we wrap up. Um, let's say. Let's say you win. You're the D1 City Council member. What are you gonna actually be able to do, considering uh, how you represented it on council? What can you actually do as a, as a councilor? I can bring more transparency and accountability on the actions of my other council members. Okay. Um, especially like when they say straight up lies on the dais. Mm -hmm. for, for example, Cheeto Vela, when they were doing the whole thing on the police scanners, and he was saying it's gonna go after people seeking abortions. He's a damn lawyer. He knows that's a HIPAA violation to even happen that way. And for him to spread stuff like that and not be called out on it by any other council member. Even Mackenzie doesn't call out. Yeah, Mackenzie yeah. didn't even call out. And she's the one that got, got it passed. Uh, good for her for getting a pass, but she needs to stand up and hold her other council members accountable. She, well, you know, Mackenzie, um, <sighs> Mackenzie needs to be a stronger candidate, a stronger representative. But I think most importantly, Mackenzie needs a friend. I'll be your friend. You know, no, no, I mean, I, like, I'll, I'll take, I'll take all the because my goal is now, to be the most hated council member. You, oh, I, oh, I think members. you will be. I think, oh, I think you will be. Mackenzie um, still cares about what other people think about her and wants to be friends and all that stuff, like. You don't give a fuck. I, I, and I like that. It's because I faced death for 11 months straight. We have one <laughs> life. Yeah, we have dude. one life. And why do I care what other people think about me when all I'm doing is trying to do the right thing? Yeah. And call out hypocrisy when I see it. Yeah, if you know. that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. Maybe government isn't Maybe you should you. be, maybe you're in the wrong field. But anyway, love Mackenzie. She, she's my friend. She's my girl. I love her. Oh, right? no, I love, I love she's her great. Too. I think that having another, having a friend on the dais that's an, that's an ally of hers might uh, help embolden Mackenzie to also speak out along with you, and it would be a good thing. Well, and even if she just wants me to do all the speaking, I'll take all the flack. Hell, go ahead. You don't care. Yeah. And yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, Clint, we're about to wrap up. How do you get a hold of you? Uh, you go to clintonrary.com. So that's R A R E Y.com. Right. You go to my Twitter, which is clintonrary. Or if you have any questions, you can text my my Google line. It only accepts text, so if you try to call me, you're not going to get it. So you got to stop calling that number. Uh, uh, oh my bad. I'll send that. <laughs> All right. That's five one two four three six three five seven three. You can text me any question that you have. If you want to send dirty messages, just to let you know I do make them public. So if you're not polite, you will be shamed. Interesting. I'm sending you dick pics all day. Okay. Let's go. All right. Hey, Clint Murray, thank you so much.